You know when you search for something on Netflix, what you get is only a fraction of what they really have? The streaming service actually has more than 18,000 titles globally, but only about 6,000 of those are available in the good old US of A. That means you're missing out on literally thousands of great shows. Unless, of course, you use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN is an app that lets you change your online location, protecting your devices from unwanted snooping and allowing you to control where streaming services and other websites think you're located. There are over 100 different locations to choose from, which means you have access to thousands of new shows and movies no matter where you live. This doesn't just work with Netflix, it works with Disney+, Hulu, Max, a UK streamer called BBC iPlayer, and more. I was on a work trip in the UK during the final season of Game of Thrones, and I tried logging into my HBO account to watch a new episode, but the technology wouldn't let me because of geoblocking. And I wish I had this app at that moment, because I now realize how incredibly easy it is to work around that problem. Here's a more recent example. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is not streaming on Netflix in the US, but I just fired up the episode where Dennis tries to have a peaceful mental health day, and technology keeps interrupting his plans. All I had to do was open ExpressVPN, connect to a UK server, refresh Netflix, and the show just popped up. It's super easy. I've also heard good things about that show called Billions, but I've never been a Showtime subscriber, so I've never seen it. But it's actually available right now on Netflix in South Korea, and with ExpressVPN, it took five seconds to switch over and start checking it out. With ExpressVPN, you get high-quality streaming from devices like your phone, laptop, tablet, and TV, and crucially, it protects your privacy and security to keep your information safe from hackers. Stop missing out on great TV and get thousands of new shows with ExpressVPN. We got them to give you all three extra months free when you use our special link, expressvpn.com slash slash film. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slash film to get three extra months completely free. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Home Daily for Monday, November 2nd, 2022. On today's episode, we're going to discuss, we're going to have a spoiler filled discussion about Andor, episode nine. This is Slash Home Editorial Director Peter Soretta. And joining me, as always, is Slash Home Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And Star Wars expert Brian Young. Hi, guys. It's a pleasure to be here. So, I, uh, you know, in this week's edition of Peter Messed Up, uh, I got a bunch of emails uh, because I mentioned last week, I was like, oh, it's odd that they changed the directors midway through this three episode arc, which I, 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 I swear to God, um, it, Gilroy did say that it was so all three episode arcs. Gilroy, Gilroy did say that, but here's what <laughs> I think happened. I think episode um, seven is actually the first standalone the, episode. Well, no, I think it's the first. I, I would bet that the crew who worked on episode seven is the crew that did 11 and 12, the finale. Yeah. Right? Oh, maybe, but he, he did talk to the Empire Film podcast and Gloria explained that episode seven is not the start of the new. This We're talking about uh, 
two episodes ago. Episode seven is not the uh, start of a new three episode arc. He described it as very interesting installment since it's the only standalone episode in the show's first season. Up until now, the show, you know, obviously has been episode one through three was one arc. Episode four through six was one arc. Uh, So episode seven breaks up that formula. And then now we're in the middle chapter of episodes eight through 10, which I guess is like the prison break uh, arc. And that also means that the final arc is a two-part finale, episode 11 and 12. So, yeah, I wonder if it is that you think it's going to be the same well, creative when, team? when I talked to him, he said that they organized the directors and everything into three-episode batches. Yeah, that's and what confused so, me. And so they shot all of this concurrently, so why wouldn't they have that episode director of 11 and 12 do that third episode? And then it still keeps them doing three episodes each. Yeah, I don't. it's weird. But anyways, uh, so I was wrong. So we are now in episode nine, which is the middle chapter of this prison break arc. Um, and uh, yeah, a ton of you. I got like at least five emails, at least a, a few tweets. So th- thanks for listening. It's great, great, great to hear from you. And yes, I was wrong. Uh, another thing that we did not mention last week is I kind of uh, skipped over that whole conversation uh that between Val and Cinta where uh the whole like you know comment about being a rich girl and I, I we were we were running long so I was I was trying to move things along and then after we got off the air Brad you like messaged both me and Brian with a theory yeah because I, I was thinking about it because we since we wrote an article about that that line and how it hinted at something uh about her past and I thought wait a second uh, I was like, we already know a pretty rich family in the story. And I was like, what if Vel is um, Mon Mothma's like second older daughter? And that's why her younger daughter uh, is kind of uh, mean and like upset with uh, with Mon Mothma. And I was close. I was close. <laughs> yeah. I, I immediately go, just watch the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> Brad likes to keep all the good speculation to, you know, his private text messages to me and Brian and not relay them to the podcast for, you know, thousands of people to hear. Well, you forgot to mention the line. So I it's know. It's my fault. <laughs> Again, it's Pete is wrong part two of this episode. And, uh, okay, let's get into this episode. Uh, let's start with a brief thoughts. Brad, what are your brief thoughts on episode nine? Uh, a good episode. I, um, but I will say I was surprised that this uh, was not the full-on uh, prison break episode. Uh, that's what I was anticipating. Uh, but I do like the build. Um, I think you were anticipating it because of my comment that this was going to be the third part of the three-episode arc. Yeah, exactly. That's and, and like, <laughs> and it made sense. Um, but but even so, I still love this episode because of how it builds up to it, especially the ending of this episode uh is is fantastic um so yeah this you know uh i yeah i just i just keep loving this show more and more um you know just the way it 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 digs into uh into you know aspects of um this rising war between you know the rebel alliance and the empire and like showing it on a a ground level and how it affects parts that we haven't seen because the star wars movies have focused so much you know, on the the grand battle, you know, between good and evil, between the Empire and, and the Rebels. But we've never really seen it on this scale before and seeing behind the scenes of both the Empire and the Rebellion and how it affects, uh, you know, citizens who are 
uh, outside of it who, you know, aren't, you wouldn't necessarily officially call rebels or Imperials, just regular people who are being oppressed and affected by what's happening between these, you know, two, this, this giant conflict. And in that line of thinking, I think most of the movies paint the, you know, the empire, the dark side as being evil. But I mean, aside from us seeing a planet blow up, we don't really get the human level of how disgusting and how awful the empire is. And I feel in this episode, this arc, seeing this prison and seeing, you know, what they're doing to these prisoners, what seeing what they do to uh, coerce information from, yeah. you know, people they're interrogating, it, it's horrendous. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, Brian, what are your brief thoughts? Um, I really loved the tension of this episode. I really like the tension of all of these episodes, but I particularly like that sort of like great escape prison vibe or like even like there's a there's a little bit of like stalag 17 into it a little bit too but i really love actually i think andy circus deserves sort of like an mvp here right like he sells the gravitas of this of this man sort of slowly losing control as he realizes things are going wrong um and he's not willing to do the prison break because he's got so little time left and then actually seeing what's happening and knowing what's going on and what the Empire's really doing, as Cassian's able to put all those dots together, it does two things. One, it 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 just it dooms all of these men in a way that feels really great for the narrative, but it also kind of shows us these subtle hints about how Cassian is good at connecting these dots. And um, so yeah, I'm just I'm very invested in this. Yeah, I'm really enjoying this arc. I love prison breaks in movies and TV shows, and this is, like, just my jam. And I, I was so unsure of how they were going to accomplish coming up with a plan and executing a plan all in one episode. And, again, I was wrong. This is a uh, – I don't know. It, it was cool to see some of the pieces come together in this episode, which I'm sure will pay off in next week's episode. Uh, I will also say that – it's interesting because Disney has provided some press with these three episodes in advance, the seven, eight, or eight, nine, and 10, uh, which is something you do not see them do with any Star Wars stuff. Usually, the, uh, even Marvel stuff, they, they have been very uh, hesitant to give press early access to stuff. And uh, I don't know the intention behind that, but it really feels to me, I'm going to reiterate something I said before, really feels to me that they should have released these in these three episode arcs together uh, on the platform at once because they feel like mini movies. And it, it, it's it's hard to judge, uh, you know, the middle chapter of a movie where it's, it's just like, it feels like a piece of it. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't feel... Uh, like a normal TV show. It feels like I'm getting one third of a thing. And um, I'm guessing that's why they provided some press with uh, the three episode arc in advance. Um, it also seems like uh, the the press and excitement around the show is, is lower than normal. Maybe just because it's shooting so high with um, it aiming uh, for uh, a aiming higher in uh, what it's expecting from audiences. Uh, but I, I'm really digging it. And uh, let, let, let's jump into it. 
let's get into our breakdown. Uh, I'm, I'm going to break things up in this episode into two sections. I'm going to break break things or er, yeah, I'll break things up into three sections. I'll break things up into the ISB uh, Ferrix part of stuff, and then I'll break things into the Coruscant, and then we'll go into Andor just to make things uh, streamlined as possible here. So. Dedra, last time we saw her, she was, she was about to interrogate Bix, and here we get that interrogation, and uh, she explains that she has learned that Salman Pak uh, last... She learned that he was hiding a fractal radio unit on his property, that he attended a separatist meeting two years ago on Jandora. Is Jandora anything we've heard of before? I haven't, but uh, I haven't had the time to. I haven't had a chance to dive into this episode and, and some of those more fine details because yeah. my copy of this didn't have the like. I couldn't watch the subtitles for some reason. Ah, okay. Uh, well, uh, he met an unknown woman on Jandora who recruited him to act as a. Uh, he he he's gonna be the component of this on Ferrix to acquire stolen Imperial equipment. And he was paid to keep the radio active in this radio was only used by Bex. Um, Star Wars, uh, the old Republic has the first reference of Jean Dora it was a planet uh, during the cold war between the Sith empire and the galactic Republic weapons from the Imperial base on Jean Dora were illegally sold on the black market, hmm. which fits very thematically with what we're talking about here. It does. Okay, so my question to you guys is this woman approached Salman on Jandora. Who is this woman that uh, paid him to Clea. put this radio? What? It's Clea. Oh, did they confirm that? No, I mean, I, watching it, that was very much like, what other woman have we seen? Like, there's nothing not intentional about what Tony Gilroy's doing. And who's the only other woman who has that connection with Luthen? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Did it seem that it seemed very obvious to me, but maybe I'm wrong. Now I'm second guessing myself. What did you think, Brad? No, no, that's what I thought, too. I mean, I thought it could have been Val or Cinto. I guess they're not as up there on the food chain of this whole thing. So maybe that it, it makes sense for it to be clear. But yeah. Um, OK, so what Dedra is trying to figure out here is, is Bix just a thief or is she working for the rebels? And you know what? She asked this question in the episode. I don't know the answer here. What is Bix doing? Is she just actually acting as Steve selling, like acquiring goods to sell to Luthen? Like what is her role in the previous to and or episode one? I think that's what she's been. She's been a, a middle person to take some of that stolen Imperial tech to pass off to him, especially when you see that episode where he meets with saw um, he's collecting all these parts for the rebel apparatus. And, um, but the question I'm asking is like, is she in it for the money or is she in it for political reasons? I think she's sort of, I think I'm not sure she's decided yet. I think she knows she doesn't like the empire. And so doing this is an easy way to make money and still be able to sleep at night. But I don't know that she's invested the way Luthen is. I agree. I think she got into it for the money, but I think, that's that's changing 
Um, Dedra knows that she's had half a dozen meetings with Access, and uh, Access, uh, but she claims she doesn't know anything about him, and uh, basically Bix is left to be tortured for the information by Doctor Gorst. And uh, Brad, what do you think of Doctor Gorst and the <laughs> the methods he implies? I mean, he's perfectly creepy uh, and and menacing, and his description of this torture method just makes it sound uh, so evil. Because I mean, it is evil, um, but like just the way he slowly goes through it, and there's just just that the, a hint of how much he enjoys uh, this part of his job, and it's just his matter of fact, uh, slow speaking style here. It's just uh, it's really effective. Yeah, when I was hearing this story about how they developed this torture treatment, which involves using recordings of the last dying breaths of these Jesuite children. (laughs) It was so bad. But I thought of you, Brian, because I was like, Brian probably has a story about this and how this is based on uh, something fucked up from Earth history. And (laughs) like how uh, maybe someone during one of the wars use the the voices of people being slaughtered as a torture device uh to get information i don't know specifically but i would not like hearing stories about the cold war and like soviet tortured methods that would not surprise me whatsoever um i really liked the way they played this off though where we don't actually hear it yes right they put it they put the headphones on her and let us imagine how awful it must be based on her reaction and it's just such a smart move yeah, there. Um, by the way, there is a great uh, article in Fact Magazine called "The Sound of Fear: Room Forty Boss Lawrence English on the History of Noise as a Weapon." I'll link that in the show notes. It has a lot of information there on, on using. I mean, a lot of countries use songs like death metal and stuff like that as like a torture device. Uh, but one of the more interesting things I, I found in there is uh, there's an Aztec death whistle. This is a pottery vessel often shaped like a skull that was used by Mexico's pre-Columbian tribes. Blowing into it makes a sound that has been described as 1,000 corpses screaming. Used in mass, an army marching with death whistles would surely have been terrified. <laughs> I don't know. I, I thought that was uh, interesting. But yeah, uh, this is effed up. Yeah. Very effed up. Yeah, to say the least. I- Gorst is very like blase about it, which makes it worse. Do you? Th- what do you think the purpose is of telling the story? Do you think it's to get her scared enough to talk, or is he just like he's just matter of factly just saying, "Oh, what I'm about to do is show you this." I mean, if if he just like put the 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 helmet on, you know, I'm sure it would be effective because there's obviously something about the sound that does it. Because when they discover this by you know, by happenstance, because some people were listening to like recordings of what happening and they realized that it drove them insane. But I think just her knowing what the sound actually is probably makes it that much worse. Yeah, she puts the device on. And at first I thought it was like a VR device, but then it went on like the back of the head and almost looked like uh, that thing that Lobo has on his head. But Lobo's a low low bot. Or Lobo, Lobo Star, sorry. Lobo. Yes, Lobo. Hey, guys, I, I know Star Wars. <laughs> I was going to say, like, Lobot. what Bastich let Lobo in the no. Star Wars universe? <laughs> yes, Lobot. But I was going to say, Lobot is, um, yeah, it, it, it's not the same thing. Um, but immediately, 
she's in distress after hearing this. And I, I, I agree with you, Brian. I love that we don't get to hear it. It's all left on the acting of this actress to to show us how horrible this is. And uh, after the treatment, they get answers to their questions, or at least we assume they do because they say later on they got all the answers they were looking for or all the answers that she had to give up. But my question to you guys is, did we? Did she Did she give up all the information? Did she like talk about Andor's past, all the stuff that he's told her, or do they think they just got everything? It's... I like the way they play it because there's no way to know exactly what, what she did tell them yeah, and what could help or what couldn't. And they're very intentionally obscuring the narrative and the information to put us off balance as well as anybody else. Agreed. Uh, Regardless, Bix is imprisoned on Ferrex because she's the only person who can identify access and Dedra gives the okay to hang Salman Pak as a demonstration in the middle of the town, uh, which until now I was like, there's a chance that Dedra's maybe, I, I think someone sent us a theory that maybe she was like working for the rebels, like as an insider, but her giving the okay to hang him to me signals that that's not the case. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, there's, there's always a chance, right? Like <laughs> there's this moment. Have you seen or read Kurt Vonnegut's mother night? No. There's this really great, the, the entire premise of the idea is like Nick Nolte in the movie, which is a terrific movie. I would actually highly recommend it. Um, is a, an American living in Germany and he gets recruited to be a spy, but as his job as a spy, he has to claim, climb the ranks of the Nazi party. And they, there's these scenes where he's just like, yes, he's an American spy. Yes. He does not believe in anything the Nazis are doing, even though he's part of the propaganda effort, knowing that his efforts are helping the Americans. And there's a scene where like some guy comes up, uh, a Jewish man comes up to sort of shame him for what he's doing. And he just lights a cigarette casually as one of the Nazis takes this guy to the side and shoots him in the face. And it's all very blasé, right? So yeah, it's like when you get give that, up his cover. Yeah, like you can't give up your cover in those situations, right? Yeah. Okay, back at the ISB, Dedrick gives an update. She believes that they have gotten all the info that Bix had, including a list of every piece of gear that was trafficked, trafficked, trafficked through Ferrix, but they still don't know who Axis is. And uh, Dedra is currently tracking a targeting unit recovered from a safe house operated by a rebel cell associated with Maya Pei. And uh, I guess my question, there's a bunch of names here and there's a bunch of stuff going here that I'm not sure what's going on. Who is Maya? Do we know who Maya is? So Maya is new to Star Wars and first referenced by Saw Gerrera in in episode eight. And she is a neo-Republican, which to me implies that she's someone who wants to she's basically fine with the Empire, just not the Emperor um, or, or something like that. That's sort of the impression I get. But but I think Saw has the first mention of her but it makes it seem as though she's a revolutionary sort of on that same level. Yeah. I, um, do you, 
I don't know. It, it's weird to mention these names. Like, do you think this is going to be a character that we'll meet? It doesn't feel like just a name drop. It does feel like it's going to come up later. Okay, so she makes the case uh, that Andor is involved as he returned to Ferrix with money. Where did he get the money? He was clean shaven, uh, which could link him to the Aldani heist because someone said that there was a guy that looked like him there. Uh, they aren't questioning the mother because she's too old and frail, and uh, but they're having her watched. And they could use her as bait if needed, which I'm sure is going to come back later, uh, maybe in the final arc of the season. So meanwhile, uh, Cyril's mom has been searching through his room again. Uh, he seems really demoralized by this. He he reveals that he's been promoted and uh, she's proud. Brad, do you think now that he's been promoted, his mom's going to stop like searching through his things and like in, uh, trying to read his notebooks. Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. I don't think so either. Um, maybe the promotion will come with enough credits so he can move out of his, his mom's apartment. But um, I do want to also say that slurping breakfast cereal milk is now star Wars canon. And I, I love that. So um Cyril shows up outside the ISB to thank Dedra for getting him promoted and making his plea to help with the cause and the whole thing I I think this incel stuff I was talking about holds a lot of water it, okay th that's what I was getting I was getting a really creeper creepy stalker vibe like he's overstepping the boundaries but then I was questioning myself is or are we to be on his want to be on his side? Like, what what do you think, Brad? What what do you think is actually going on here? No, no, I don't think you should want to be on his side at all. This guy, <laughs> this this guy's like a fucking weasel. Um, but I, it's interesting though because like there are moments of hesitation and in in the look on Dedra's face where she's almost kind of into it. Uh, and so I'm wondering if there's something like percolating there. You know, uh, I feel like there's going to be Tumblr shipping them. Yeah, Writing for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, ship ship these freaking creepers. <laughs> uh, wait, wait. So, yeah, go on that. That that was, I guess, what hit me weirdly is there was a moment there that I was like, oh, maybe she is into Cyril. Maybe there's something gonna gonna come out of this. I I, I would be shocked if that happened. And I really <laughs> like it makes Cyril's arc so much more of a question mark. I feel like every episode it forces us to reevaluate like where the hell he's going. Yeah. Cause I mean like in his mind, like him just stalking her and she says that straight up, like, are you stalking me? Like you're stalking an Imperial security bureau agent. Like, um, you know, it, it's, it's fascinating to me. Play, playing devil's what? advocate here though, yeah. Brian, it's not like he showed up at her house or residence or like followed her. Like he was just like outside her work to like, that's the only place he knew that he could come into contact with her. But like he wanted to have a conversation and I'll play devil's advocate here. I'm just saying like, I, I know, feel like it's, you know, it's, Peter, it's like, it's a step below stalking. In, in the world, in, in the world these days being what it is, the devil <laughs> needs no advocates. Yeah, uh, that that is that is a hundred percent true. But <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, so they found a rebel pilot 
using a stolen Imperial masking unit, and he's being held on a Star Destroyer off of Steerguard, where Gorst will deliver his treatment, and she will interrogate remotely. Steerguard? Do we know of Steerguard? Is that a place? Steerguard is new for this show, but that's where that original Starpath unit uh, that that Cassian stole had come from. Okay. Uh, then we hear another name we've heard before. This guy is part of uh, Krieger's group. Anto, Anto Krieger's Anto Krieger is another one of those guys that was first mentioned in that conversation with Saw. Um, Luthen knew about this deal and was trying to get Saw to help him with the air support. But uh, yeah, Saw refused. So basically, if Saw had l- listened to Luthen, none of this would happen. Maybe. Probably, or yeah, who knows? Anyways, <laughs> the pilot says that there is a raid planned on the power station at uh, Spellhouse. Spellhouse, yeah, Spellhouse. Um, again, new new location for the show that uh, that Luthen first mentioned in the previous episode. Yeah, they don't want Krieger getting spooked, so they stage an accident uh, for the pilot to be discovered. So that they they don't think that they know about this planned uh, raid of the power station. So, uh, yeah. So I guess that's probably going to come into play in the next episode. Um, let's cut over to Mon Mothma. Uh, she's speaking at the Senate about opposing the Emperor's new legislation. And uh, it seems like... Uh, the, the senators are yelling. They're turning off their lights. Um, and uh, she sees the Senate Rotunda like a temple. Uh, I mean, it sits there in the Coruscant skyline alongside the uh, the ancient Jedi temple. Uh, but it's clear here to me that the people that are part of the Senate are treating it like a circus. So oh, I, wanted, yeah. I wanted to hear your thoughts on this, Brian. No, I think... Um... I think the scene is incredibly demoralizing for Mon Mothma, right? Where it's like, it's sort of a total mockery being made of what faith in the institution she does still have. But I mean, according to what we've heard her say in the last couple episodes, it seems to me that she already knows she's long past the idea that she's going to get anything done in the Senate. No, but I think she still thinks that she can put a wrench in the works and people just aren't listening. Yeah. Like before she still had some of that cachet to at least slow things down or grind the gears down. But I think she's lo- losing that too. Okay. So, uh, so she's uh, defeated. She gets in her car and she learns that her cousin has showed up at her residence as a surprise. And uh, this is where Brad's theory that he didn't, he was unwilling to tell on this podcast and just told two people, but on, on text messages, uh, t- turned out to be correct. Brad, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you a, a small clap. Oh, sorry. I was on mute. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it turns out uh, Brad's theory was that Val was uh, Mon's sister. Turns out it's uh, she's the cousin. Um, she shows up at the residence. I don't know what she's really doing there because it doesn't seem like she's willing to give out any details. Um, and, uh, she's only well, there. F- 
What were you going to say? She's, she's keeping up appearances, right? When she leaves Cinta, Cinta's like, it's going to get suspicious. She's already disappeared for six months. If she gets caught and is a very public person and the cousin of a, an influential senator, if she gets caught uh, like right that close to an ISB, like wolf's lair or like lion's den, um, that's going to be bad. So that so she's just going to go keep up appearances. But on the other hand, it seems weird to me that they're so concerned about Andor being a loose end that could tie them back to Luthen when her cousin is working for the rebellion. And if she got caught, it would tie Mon Mothma to the rebellion. I mean, everybody everybody's taking a shot, and I think she's taking more risks than Mon is. But yeah. but Mon doesn't know the risks that she's actually that that her cousin's actually taking. Oh yeah, yeah, that's true as well. So uh, like, and and there's every chance that maybe maybe Luthen doesn't know that Vel is Mon Mothma's cousin. He seems like a smart guy, Brian. I don't think that's getting past. I, I think he's able to look up that information. If not him, then queer. Um, but I don't know. Okay. So uh, she's only there for a day. She claims that she's making the pilgrimage back to Chandrella. And Mon shares this moment of uh, unconfidence, I guess, that Invel is basically convinces her that they are doing the right thing. And, uh, I don't know. I, I, I guess the only thing I have to say about the scene is I love Val's suitcases and I'm betting people will be recreating these for trips to the Star Cruiser. I think that's great because I don't think we've seen enough Star Wars suitcases or suitcases in the Star Wars galaxy. Um, no, I think you're right. Uh, so Tay is worried about Mon's ledger uh, that it might prove to be a problem and they need to deposit the 400,000 credits to cover the hole that has been left there. But of course they don't have access to that kind of cash, but, and they only have a limited amount of time before her bank account gets checked. Uh, so they need to get a loan and Tay has one person in mind. It's a wealthy thug named Davio Skuldun, I think. Is this anybody we know or? Is no, he's they're really like, we haven't gotten a lot in the expanded, Material about Chandrilla, except for through the lens of Mon Mothma. So all this stuff is really new for the show of them exploring Chandrilla. Even like the stuff with like the slugs and the drinks and stuff. They're just little flourishes of this culture that they're sort of inventing for this show. So, uh, I mean, she's in this hole. She's eventually going to get caught if she doesn't put, if she doesn't find 400,000 credits to fill that uh, that audit that could be coming, should she do it? What will it cost her? You know what what compromises to this war must be made before yourself you yourself are compromised. And I think this is what Saw was talking about last week. And I think uh, it's interesting to see that reflected in Mon here, where she's having to possibly accept a loan from a wealthy thug that she doesn't want to associate with. Who's now going to come to her residence? Yeah. Yeah. It's gross. Yeah. Uh, before we get to Andor storyline, Brad, anything you want to say about uh, the Mon storyline? No. Okay. 
<laughs> You're going through the same thing yeah, I am. Yeah, don't worry. He'll, t- he'll text me and Brian after the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Uh, on Narkina 5, one of Andor's six work part- partners, Yulof. Is that how you pronounce his name? Yulof. Yulof? It's Yulof, yeah. Yulof. Yulof. Who's just such a wonderful character actor. Like, he was in Batman 1989. He's the goon that Batman says, I'm Batman. Yeah, and he was in, he was one of the scientists who gave Lilu her clothes in the fifth element. And he's one of those characters, actors you've seen a trillion times. He was also um, the broker in Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, was he? I didn't know that one. Um, well, he's facing, the character here, Olaf, is facing physical problems with only 41 more shifts before he actually gets let free. And uh, Andor takes a break just as he sees an Imperial officer walk by the window on the level above. I guess my question here is, like, why is that a signal for him to take his break? Um, so the the platform coming down is the key to their plan right yeah because he says he says like hey we've got a that's where they go and and as they're pointing it out they're like look they're not wearing the shoes they're they don't have this and and so him taking his break um but he doesn't seem like it gives him that much time to file away at the pipe or whatever he's doing like he knows that someone's going to be coming down like why take it then I don't know. I'm sure there's more to the story that we'll learn in the next week's episode. But There definitely is. Yeah. Okay, so uh, he didn't accomplish much as the voice of God comes over the speakers and he runs back to position uh, just in time for a new prisoner to be brought down the elevator walkway from the level above. And they notice that the two guards escorting the prisoner aren't wearing the boots, confirming the suspicion that the elevator is not wired. Uh, Andor comes up with a plan to make a run for the platform while it's coming down, stopping it, taking out the guard, using his weapon to take out the other guard. Brad, is this a good plan? I mean, it's the best plan they've got. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Later, the whole group is being held on one of those sky bridges or water bridges, whatever you want to call it, for an extended period of time. Something's going on. Through sign language, they learn that something has happened on level two. Uh, Kino, Andy Serkis' character, is trying to keep order of this group. And I want to say how much, like you mentioned earlier, Andy Serkis' character. I love his character arc so far on this show. Like, when we met him last episode, he really came off as, like, a complete dick. Like, he, he came off like a... You know, he's not an Imperial. He He's a prisoner just like them, but, like, he may as well be one of the Imperial guards. Uh, like, he, he really came off uh, whatever. And it, it seems like, you know, after seeing this episode and seeing uh, how when he realizes there might be no future for himself, that he is now willing to work with, with the group. But, it, I don't know, I just love him. Uh, did you guys want to say anything about Andy Serkis in this episode. I mean, I just love Andy Serkis, uh, you know, as an actor <clears throat> in general. Uh, it's He was always great at the motion capture stuff, but I, I very much enjoy when we get to see him in the flesh uh, doing performances like this without, you know, being covered by, uh, you know, makeup or digital effects and things like that. And this is, yeah, it's, it's, it's just a great supporting role for him. 
I want to say that uh, him uh, possibly joining this prison break, possibly joining the rebels, possibly becoming Supreme Leader Snoke. Oh, I was going to say that that like kind of defeats Brian's whole theory last week, his uh, not real theory that he's going to end up as Snoke. That was that was that was you, Peter. That was me. Oh, then it it was Brad. We, We have no idea what happens to him, you know. So maybe maybe there's a ch- there's a chance that there's going to be some some trouble in in his future. Yeah, <laughs> it's possible. Um, no, I really love how like what this does is his character has a belief in the system and that they'll just be able to get out. Right. Yeah, they'll just be able to go and it'll be OK. And that's just not the case. And. Yep he really, really, really wants to believe in the system because he's so close to getting out and just the disillusionment and his character turn in this episode is so good. So good. Uh, Later back in the bunks after the chef, Cassian tries to talk Kino into escaping, but he wants nothing to do with it. Cassian knows they aren't listening to them because the prisoners are nothing to them and uh it'd be too much work to actually be monitoring at what they're saying in their bunks and uh but still kino won't tell cassian how many guards there are on each level uh the next day while walking to the sky bridge they learned that unit 25 was completely slaughtered both shifts both the day and night shift 100 men kino attacks melshi for joking that they they let them all free and indoor claim uh, calms the situation uh, the less they think they know, ab- they know anything better, uh, anything the better. And uh, I think it's funny that Andor is providing better leadership here than his supervisor, Kino. Um, and I'm sure that'll come into play next week, maybe. Um, as as there, as he's uh, is Andor the supervisor of this prison break? It seems like it. I, look at look at Peter fishing for spoilers. See, uh, if if you guys have not under uh, uh, read through the lines here, it's because Peter's the only one here that has not seen episode ten. <laughs> the other two people on this podcast have, so I know nothing. They have some. They have a bit of information. We just couldn't which, resist. Yeah. Uh, well, I resisted. I'm going to watch it today, but I, I I resisted for the the sake of the podcast. Uh, <laughs> Uh, at, at the end of the day, uh, Yoff uh, is not doing well. He can barely stand as the the losing group gets shocked. They really and tried. They really tried to weaken at Bernie's the situation for a little bit, though. They did. <laughs> that was so horrifying. Where they're like everybody in the box. I like that they didn't show it too. You just knew what was coming. And they're so dejected about it. It's just like man. Yeah. Yeah, uh, he passes out in the sky bridge, and they request a med tech. And by the way, I like how the med techs are not even like imperial people; they're they're like forcing prisoners to be the med people, uh, the medical people for the the prisoners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that was really interesting. Where like that really highlighted Cassian's like they're short staffed; they don't have anybody. There's no one here. Like we can overrun these people. Uh, the med tech isn't much help. Yulof, uh is too far gone after suffering a massive stroke. 
and even though he has only 40 shifts left, even though he has only 40 shifts left, the tech must put him down. This is like disturbing to watch, disturbing to watch him die. Have we ever seen anybody die like like this in Star Wars before? Because I, I can't think of it. I mean, does Yoda count? That felt like self-euthanasia. <sighs> kind of. I mean, not not exactly, because like he he kind of just died of his, his, his like of old age, and like I mean, and there's clearly something wrong with uh, with Yulaf here. But like they they basically euthanize him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's they put him down like a dog. Which again, like watching um kino andy circus's character process this where it's just like they're not going to even attempt to save him this is why they don't have a doctor because their options are like if he can't be healed back to to work well enough um then we're just going to kill him like it's it's more of that disillusionment in the system yeah um by the way last week i think i mentioned that kino meant film and yeah. actually, the the what it actually means is cinema, cinema, grand, cinematic. Uh, I'm not sure why they chose that for Andy Circus. Uh, do you have any theories on that, Brian? Because Andy Circus is a chameleon of cinema. I don't know. Like it's just <laughs> Star Wars has a way of just taking cool sounding words and ideas and and throwing them together in a blender. Actually, Wikipedia says Kino is a filmmaking movement that advocates the production of short films on the on little to no budget using small crews and non-competitive collaboration. Hmm. Okay. Anyways, uh, sorry to get off that on, on that uh, sidetrack there, but um, so the med tech lets it slip that no one is actually getting released at the end of their sentence. A man who was just released on. Uh, level four ended up on level two the next day and word got out on the floor that so they had to kill off everybody how does this work though because i feel like if i was if i was a prisoner in this prison and i got off and then i got put in another uh another level wouldn't i have the knowledge that like you're not getting out and wouldn't i just tell everybody that's why they killed everyone on that floor. Cause he went out, he went there and he told everybody, he's like, I didn't get out. They just put me on a different floor. I was on this other floor and they're like, uh, let's just zap them all. But like, wouldn't that always happen? I guess. No, no, it was a mistake because usually they would send them to a completely different facility. Oh, okay. They would send them like somewhere else on another planet where they're more demoralized or whatever. But wouldn't he tell them like, oh, it, it's you're not I'm never getting out. I they told me I was gonna get out of that facility. Yeah, but on. in the in the next facility though, um, they probably run things with a different iron fist, right? Here they they work on compliance. And because it's a skeleton crew for this manufacturing gig, they need their compliance, they need that buy-in from them that they're gonna get out so that they're they're happy about it, right? They could be on the spice mines at Kessel next, where they're just yeah. going to work them to death. That, that okay, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and of course, now Kino is willing to cooperate and reveals to Cassian how many guards there are on each floor. He he's all in now. Uh, next week, I guess we're going to see the Prison Break episode. 
Uh, let's jump into speculation. Or wait, is there, before we get into speculation, is there anything you guys have to say about episode nine? No, I think we got it. It was good. Yeah, it was really good. Good, uh, good stuff. Good television. <laughs> uh, so, okay, speculation. This is going to be hard because you guys have seen stuff. So I don't know. what. Uh, obviously, you can't reveal anything of what you've seen. Uh, but I guess, uh, what do you guys think? Will C- Cyril stay away from Dedra? <laughs> I don't. I don't think there's any questions that we can uh, effectively answer. <laughs> you don't think there's a? Uh, will Kino survive the prison break and join the rebellion? Okay, no answers here. Um, yeah, I guess. I, don't, I mean, the thing is, is like I don't even want to answer either way. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of interesting speculation for us to have for the next episode. Yeah. I will say that I, I do hope that Kino survives the prison break and joins the rebellion because I would love to see Andy Serkis uh, play a bigger role in the, the, uh, the growing rebel- rebellion. But obviously we don't see him in Rebels or New Hope. So that's probably a bad sign. Hey, there's so. a weird thing where I'm hearing both you and now myself as an echo. I don't know who it was coming from. So what do you guys think? And now that you can't talk about next week's episode, what do you guys think? Is Kino, I guess you can't even say that. Doesn't actually mean anything because like, look at Melshi, who we don't see in Rebels or A New Hope either. We only see him at the Battle of Scarif. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, but we do see Rex or someone that looks like Rex in Return of the Jedi. No, that was that was a dude named Sant. Uh, I mean, Rex is at that battle. They've they've pretty clearly made it delineated it so it's two different people. Have they? Um, because I, I remember asking Filoni, and he was not willing to commit either way. He thought it was a fun thing, but the story group has been very like, no, you can't just like make that white guy be Rex. <laughs> well, maybe Rex changed his name to Saint. Okay. Yeah, no, uh, he's still Rex in that. Well, and I think that's why in some of the the other cartoons they've actually had renderings of Rex in that battle. Um and he's still wearing his like blue 501st stormtrooper arm bracers and Sant doesn't have those. So Oh, where where have we seen that? Um it was in the Forces of Destiny cartoons, I want to say. Okay. Okay. Um, okay, guys, it's, 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 we can't really do much speculation this week uh, because you guys couldn't help yourselves. Uh, I just want to say that I'm really enjoying the show and I'm really excited to see what happens next. And it's going to be crazy because we have this final episode in this uh, prison break arc. And then we have two more episodes. And I really don't know what those two episodes are going to be. Um I guess maybe that's a well. This is, you guys can't even comment on that either. But, but I mean, we could, but I, don't. <laughs> I, I hope this is as frustrating for everybody listening to this podcast as it is to me. But well, I mean, <laughs> here, here, here's, here's, what I'll, here's what I'll tell you: you're definitely going to see Cassidy Andor in the next episode. Uh, you're, spoilers, you're, Brad. Spoilers. You're definitely going to see uh, Kino Loy in the next episode for sure. Um, you know, you're, you're definitely going to see, I think a lot, a lot of the other characters who have been on the show in previous episodes as well. (laughs) Um, one thing, one thing, there's two things I do want to call out, um, about this episode, uh, really fast. 
the previous episode before I forget, because they just kind of came to me. One, they mentioned Kafreen, which is where Rogue One opens. Oh, when did they mention that? Um, I think uh, the ISB folks do. Okay. Okay. And then um, when they're interrogating Bix, they do that same like smash cut of the the door closing and then looking to the boot coming onto the hallway. Oh, and then yes. Up. Yes. Exactly from A New Hope. Yeah. Yeah. I, I noticed that too. And I was like, oh, that's a that's a cool little visual nod. I didn't yeah. notice that. That's cool. Yeah, no, it's it's straight from Leia's interrogation in A New Hope. It's weird that they took this place that was a hotel and they basically like cleared it out and just put a mattress on the floor. <laughs> I mean, it, it could have been some comfortable accommodations is what I'm saying. You don't want that for people you're torturing. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's work. It takes work to like clear out all that stuff from a hotel room. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Uh, I think that does it for today's episode of Slash Film Daily. You can find more of all of our work at SlashFilm.com. You can find this podcast on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, uh, concerns, comments, speculation to peter at SlashFilm.com. And uh, please rate and read this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to our newsletter link in the description. And we'll see you uh, tomorrow. We'll see you tomorrow. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Saving money on everything for your next project at Menards. It doesn't matter what job you're up against. Works cordless power tools and lawn equipment have the power for you to get the job done faster and easier. The PowerShare 20-volt batteries run longer on a single charge, and they can be used with other tools. Check out Menards' entire selection of works, cordless power tools, and lawn equipment. Plus the weekly flyer today on Menards.com. Save big money.